Parshas Tzaveh Vov Other Other Rishon The outside of the Rashag Answer Tell them we're going to Skype them in a minute no, it's on, on the video. It's on the video. Here you go. All right, we're going to be back in a minute. Tell, tell whoever it is, we'll be back in a minute. We're going to have everybody on the group. Just disconnected. In the call there. In call. The outside of Rav Shmayahu. Oh, no. Menachem Mendel. His father was. Formerly known as the Rashag. The brother-in-law of the Rebbe, who also carried the title of Hasna de Venesia, son-in-law of the Friedrich Rebbe. a few short stories on the um, website on a site known as Shemais about Rashag aha he's not part of the group yet hold on Plug this. <laughs> First one. No, that's the second. Okay. Well, okay. Nobody answers that. I am in a few minutes of research stories of the Rashag. Rashag was always known as a very interesting fellow. Rashag was always was given, of course, the task here to take care of the yeshiva, to run the yeshiva. But more importantly, and more on a, on a more spiritual level, shall we say, the Rashag was probably the biggest Makusher, the biggest connected, the one that was most connected to the Rebbe of any of the Chassidim. The Rashak's connection to the Rebbe was something that very, very few people were able to understand, the very few people were able to grasp. 
fact that the Rashag was able to be Makushat to the Rebbe was in itself a miracle. Miracle because ultimately the Rashag was a physical bus of Adam. And although he too was chosen to be a son-in-law by the previous Rebbe, which is of course no small feat, Shag wasn't just a brother-in-law, wasn't just a son-in-law, didn't just take things for granted that he belonged to the house of the the Rebbe whereas most people in his position would have considered themselves somebody of substantial heritage that a Shag was totally bottled and to the Rebbe now, interestingly, we, print, we posted three stories, three short little stories. In the Tavshin Lamids, the Rebbe was very, very involved with seeing to and trying to nullify the decree of Mir Yehudi, of who is a Jew, the law of return, as it's called, or Gir Kahalacha that the conversion should be done according to the Jewish law, according to Orthodox Jewish law, and conversion should not happen unless they were. My nerve is too much. i tell you what, he can't do audio or video. I don't suppose you'll type. But yet the Rashag would sit on the end of the table with the Rebbe of Fabreng. He would faithfully attend all gatherings of Fabreng to the Rebbe. And when the Rebbe would say a maimah, the Rashag would stand up the first. The Rashag Shag was listening to the Sikhs, like anybody else listened to the Sikhs, Mir Yodi. At the time, as there was always in times, where Bakram were very, very Spitz, Spitz Chabad, Chsidim. Spitz Chabad Chasid. Spitz Chabad Chasid. Translated the Rebbe's words, Spitz Chabad Chassid involved himself to see that the Rebbe's requests were being fulfilled. The Spitz Chabad Bachim at the time 
got together and they composed the letter. They composed the letter to the Rashag. Rashag, who happened to have been a very affluent fellow in his own, was also very influential soon. Very influential by many, many people and was accepted throughout worldwide. So the Bachrim wrote a letter to the Rashag telling him that he should apply himself to see to bring into fruition the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's request that the, the decree should be nullified. But the Bachrim were not that bold. And they didn't sign the paper. They sent it without a signature. But as is in all generations, the people knew, the yeshiva knew, who were the Spitz Chabad Bachrim. And Reb David Raskin Zangizund, these are the Fuish Lema, all of a sudden came into the Bismedish and was looking for the boys. So most of them went to hide. There was one Bachar that was figured he'll take the blow, he'll take the fall for everybody. And he went to the Rashag. And he figured the Rashag is going to let him have it. Rashag is going to give him over the head for this. He came into the Rashag, and the Rashag saw the Bach come in, and became very humbled by a Bacha. And asked the Bacha, you write to me that it's important I have a role that, that could possibly accomplish for what the Rebbe is requesting. What is it I should do? Tell me whatever it is you guys say I have to do, that's what I will do. Anything to do what the Rebbe wants. This was mind-boggling. The Shag had his um, deals, shall we say, with the Friedrich Rebbe, as far as becoming a son-in-law by the Friedrich Rebbe, amongst which was the Chazan Maimer at certain times, and to also have Hasidic gatherings at certain times. So the Friedrich Rebbe had certain stipulations with the Rashag as well. And yet, the Rashag felt as if he was an even plane, not with the Rebbe, but with the Chassidim, any Chassid. Bear in mind that Rashag carried a big stick and didn't walk softly, or talk softly for that matter. Rashag came into somebody's house, and Rashag let you know that he was here for Taim Chatmim, he was here for the Yijira. There were many comical stories of the Rashag as well. He was a very colorful fellow sometimes. As a child, I used to go upstairs to 770 in the Mismedish for Shabbos afternoon of Shalashudis, where the Rashag used to chazam Maimah. Little group of old men that used to have uh, two bottles of soda and a few challah uh, rolls, and these old men would wash and sit down to Shalashudis. They would sing the traditional Mizmullah David and Bnei Echala. Then the Rashag would say his Maimah. And you had the Bachna that would come upstairs in Kibbutzim and, and uh, try to jeer him, which was strange. It was awkward, really. 
I was a young kid, and I, I didn't know such things. I was always brought up that people with a white beard are more respectable than I am, and I have to give respect to them. But the Rashag Enus is a man a step above that. My my grandmother Shalom had a very good rapport with Rashag, in that uh, she was the she opened she started organizing the ladies' auxiliary for yeshiva. When my father Shalom and his brothers arrived in America, they had contact in Siberia when they were running from the war with Lubavitchers. So therefore, the being that they learned with Chabad over here, Chabad and the Lubavitch over here, Lubavitch, although they were from Poland, when they came to America, Lubavitch was the yeshiva they were sent to. And so they came to the Lubavitch yeshiva, and Rav Ushpal, all of a shalom, was the Rosh yeshiva, and my grandmother Rosh came into the room with the with this medrash with the boys, with my uncle Yechiel Zayin to have a full shleima, and slangers of the yarn, to my father and to his brother Shmuel, and. She gave Rav Ushpal a few torn out pages of Gemara. Who was there? Huh? Torn out pages of Gemara. And she said, This is what they were able to find in the war torn Europe as they were on the run. And this is what they learned. I did what I can, now it's your turn. And the boys were put into Yeshiva. And they were in the dormitory. And my grandmother went up to the dormitory to see the quote-unquote conditions which the Bachram were living. And to her, much to her dismay, found that the Bachram was sleeping without blankets, without sheets, without... It was a churm. It was this unreal. And she made immediately started, unlike a lot of people, that make a Vayetzako, they just put on their websites and they put on all different uh, newscasts and all different things. Hey, look how terrible and terrible and terrible this one is. And then just walk home and either go cluck, 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 or don't say anything. My grandmother went out and started banging pots. And banging pots, she started gathering money and putting together money. And within days, she had sheets and linen for all the beds in the yeshiva, with blankets and pillows. And this is how she started working with the ladies. When, when Yeshiva moved to Ocean Parkway in Tafshan Chavtes, 69, 70, Yeshiva moved to Ocean Parkway where it is today, the ladies' auxiliary became very, very, very active. In, in Bedford and Dean, they also had their meetings and their parties. But here, they became very, very active, and their very, very active consisted of teas and breakfasts and luncheons and my grandmother being heading spearheading this was constantly now from one side it was a benefit for me because I can go downstairs and get for my grandmother a little cookie or a bagel or something extra on the other hand I couldn't go downstairs so my grandmother would say what are you doing out of class <laughs> so I was burning a candle on both sides Depended how desperate I was for the cookie to get the question. I had one occasion that I was sitting in my 
grandmother's house and I wasn't feeling well. I went to her house. Both my parents worked. In the Tavshin Lamed Aleph, this story took place. And the Rashag called my grandmother and said, Rebetzin Hecht, the yeshiva left $10,000. The yeshiva needs $10,000. And my grandmother said, I had a question of the Gerari, coming. She grabbed me. She lived in Barrow Park on 16th Avenue and 45th. The bank was on 13th Avenue and 47th. We walked to the bank. <laughs> then there was a bus. I don't remember exactly which buses. We had to take two buses to get up to the yeshiva. We took the two buses. If I'm not mistaken, took one bus up to 18th Avenue. On the 18th Avenue bus up to Ocean Park. I don't remember if this how it worked. And then we walked from there. And we walked to the bank. And she withdrew from the ladies' auxiliary account $10,000. 1970, on a whim, came to the office, right, knocked on the door, went inside, put down the bag, walked back out. She didn't wait for the thank yous, she didn't wait for the, uh, the flowers, she didn't wait for any, any plaques. She even needed it, she even needed it. This is what I raised it for. Unlike today, a lot of fundraisers that tend to hoard the money until they decide that the yeshiva is worthy of having this money. Um, and this is how the Rashag would operate. And the Rashag would go to people and the Rashag would just sit. <laughs> and the more comical side, the Rashag once came to a uh, widow. Rashag had a driver. And they came to the widow to collect money and the Rashag would sit back on the chair. And he would sit back, hope, you know, and uh, like some men, he forgot to close his pants, his fly. And the widow was a little bit uh, taken aback, and she says to the driver, she says, she whispers, tell him to close his pants. And he looked at her and he said, the lady, in America is alt often. In America, everything is open. <laughs> he had no idea what she was crying, what she was referring to. But he didn't have... You know, Literally, the man had no airs about him. The man had the schuss to dance hakafis with the Rebbe. When the Rebbe would come in for hakafis, it was the Rebbe and the Rashag themselves. The Rebbe would put his hand on the Rashag's shoulder, and the Rashag reluctantly, his brother-in-law, but reluctantly put his hand up on the Rebbe's shoulder, and they danced the hakafis, and they would go around and round. Now, the Rebbe was, was... bringing the entire life into this room. I mean, to describe to you our coffers with thousands of people throughout the whole shul, the Rebbe is in the middle of the shul, and as the Rebbe turns, the Rebbe made eye contact with everybody in the shul. You remember this, Akiva? You remember our coffers? Fish has huh? Fish has uh, do you remember our coffers? Sure. So you remember? Squashed, as I oh, you were squashed because you were a little kid. We're still little. We we do not. We were from the the, the bulldozers. We 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 had our places for years. 
we went into shul on erev erev shmiratzeres shanah rabba and we built our bleachers and we had the bleachers set up over there and we stood we had our places exactly on the bleachers and oy vavoy lecha if you got up there and you didn't belong there why 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 and <clears throat> this went on all around throughout the shul people that had bleachers for years on end these guys built their boxes over here and these guys built their this everybody had their own patent of pyramidas and they knew exactly where they were going to stand and as the Rebbe went around the Rebbe saw and made eye contact it was amazing that the Rebbe made eye contact no matter how many people were in this row in this row over on this side on that side the Rebbe made eye contact with everybody and this the Rebbe danced but Rashag was a little, getting a little on, on an age and he, was get, he couldn't physically keep going he would feel dizzy and he would start Getting uh, getting weak in the legs, but he realized that if the Rebbe stops, Hakafa stops. So he would push himself beyond beyond any kind of limit that you can understand. It was mind-boggling, and the closeness that the Rebbe had for him, the the ad, ad, adoration, the Rebbe loved and adored every chassid. The Rebbe, as the Rebbe once told somebody by dollars, when the Rebbe was asked. Don't you get tired from giving out dollars? The Rebbe said, you get count, you, would you get tired from counting diamonds? Each Jew is a diamond to me. I told the story actually last week, on Friday night I think, I don't know if I told it about this year, about a Belzechassid. I don't think I told it about this year. Um, whoever's online, we're going to disconnect you for a moment, we're going to recall again the group to see if anyone else gets on. Um, can't do it to whoever was on just to all of a sudden hang up and then we not tell the story do you know anything about this? what's that? Fisher just text me if I'm behind come to his house Fisher Bronstein? I don't know nothing this is what? why? Yassel, yeah? I don't know maybe it's the other door I don't know says also to text the whole name 45 hours. I didn't know what to say. I'm looking at Shemais. It's not Shemais. It's Gitter, by the way. Hmm? I came back and get it. Get it in the Hamadim. Tell me, tell me. I'm saying... That's not sense. Okay, now I've lost. Whoever was online before. Okay, different ones coming on. Hey, people have to learn how to dial in. All in the middle. It was a Belzechazid that was mocking Lubavitch. Lubavitch was mocking the Rebbe, laughing at the Rebbe. And other people around him were telling him that, you know, you, you have an idea what you're doing. You can't do this. You can't talk like this. And they tried to deter him from saying what he was saying, but it wasn't doing very well. This man had a son that was a, made an amazing Talmud Chochem, sat and learned, and people were very, very... And suddenly the son started to lose his love for learning. The son started to lose his interest. And the son started to enjoy the nightlife of uh, Tel Aviv.
And from there, from the nightlife of, light life of Tel Aviv, he went on to um, bigger and better till he came to America. And to make the long story short, to make the long story short, he went to the nightlife of America and he totally abandoned everything that he believed in. And he was walking one day in the streets and a fellow walked out of the Babacha, walked out on the street and saw him and says, Come are you Jewish? And he says, No, I am not Jewish. You know, with his nice Israeli accent. And the fellow understood right away. But And then the second time, a totally different area of Manhattan, he met the boy again, the same Chabad boy, who again asked him to put on film and again he refused. And then a third time, and finally the third time, the boy convinced him to put on film, and the boy finally saw that the guy finally saw that he belongs where he belongs, and therefore he returned to to where he belonged. He went back home to where he, where he should be. When he came back to his father's home, he had regrown his pay, his beard, put on again his his clothes that he wore as a Gerachabelzachasid, and he came home. His father embraced him, of course, and there was a tremendous happiness. The fellow, though, realized that this all came about. He asked his son how this happened, and his son said, Chabad brought him back. When he heard this, the fellow realized that he better go apologize to the Rebbe. So he booked a ticket to New York, and he came to the 770, and he got online for dollars, and he came in front of the Rebbe, and he came to apologize. He stood in front of the Rebbe, he started to cry. So the Rebbe asked him, do you remember the pain you had when your son left your house? He said, of course. He started to cry even harder. Does he remember the excitement and the joy you had when your son returned home? He said, yes. So the Rebbe said, I have that same pain anytime any given Jew goes off the Jewish path. And I have that same joy when a Jew returns. So the Rebbe was implying that every Jew is his child. So the Rebbe, therefore showing how his child, each and every Jew, was a child of his. So the Rashag, as a chassid of the Rebbe's, also, not just being a chassid, but being a brother-in-law, had a tremendous closeness. When the Rishag was not well, was in hospital, so Meshleme, and his father, used to take care of the Rishag. The Rebetzin used to take care of him. And the Rebetzin, the Rebbe's wife, told him, told Meshleme, that if ever anything, any kind of developments, no matter what kind of time of the day or night, you to call me. And it was 2.30 in the morning. And the Yishleim had to tell the Rebetzin something, and he called the house. And the Rebetzin answered, and the Yishleim heard the Rebbe coughing in the background. So he knew the Rebbe was there as well. And he told the Rebetzin the report. And the Rebetzin, I don't know if she told him to wait a minute or not, Rebetzin told him, tell Rabbi Gerari that my husband is going tomorrow to the oil and he will mention his name for him. He will daven for him. So it tells us that it was quite a powerful 
connection, adoration the Rebbe had for the Rashag. So, anybody listening, wherever they are, wherever the voice, wa- the voice waves reach, if you hear this today, tomorrow, today on the outside of the Rashag, to learn something that ever spoke a very beautiful sikha, the Rashag's name, Shmayo. Shmayo has most of the letters of the Shama. Shin, Mem, and Ahei. The Rebbe says the Nun for Neshama is the Yud extended. Shmayo has a Yud in it, so the Yud extended. The Yud represents God, godliness. The Rebbe goes on, the whole Sikha to explain the greatness of the, Rebbe, of the Rashag's name. It also is on Shmeis.com. You can find it in the Sikha's Tavshin Nun. Pashas Truma Tavshin Nun. Or if you look in the Sikhs in English, they have as well. If you look online, you can find it. What's in a name? What's really a name all about? Well, this week's Pasha is the ideal Pasha to tell us exactly what a name is all about. Viata Tetzavez B'nai Yisrael. Who's Viata and you? Who's the and you? We know who's been commanding the mitzvahs. We know who went up to Mount Sinai. We know who went up to the mountain. <coughs> who brought down the Luchas. And who's been teaching the Torah. Meish Rabbeinu. Viata, what's the informality here? But as we turn the pages, this week's Pasha, we get to Viata Hakrevelecha. And we don't find throughout the Pasha Meish Rabbeinu's name mentioned. The only Pasha since the birth of Meshach Rabbeinu, his name is not mentioned. What's going on? There are many, many different answers. One such answer is because it always comes out the week of Zion Other. The week, in that week, in the course of the week of Tetzavah, is always Zion Other. Zion Other is the outside of Meshach Rabbeinu. Machlik is if it's Adarishan or the Shani, but irrelevant. According to most, it turns out it's Adarishan. And therefore, since he was nostalgic from the world, so by leaving the world, he's leaving, he's not appearing in the Parsha. It shows the sadness of his passing. That's one Svara. Another very, very famous Svarah, Rabbi Hanina Bapapa says in Sech Tzaita, we all study throughout Svira, so we know more or less where everything is. The story we know is on Yud Gimel Amit Beis, where this Machlekes comes about, whether he was, if he was born on other Rishon, and if he was born on other Rishon, 120 years later, it had to be he was passed away on other Rishon as well. We found a very interesting conversation that Meshach Rabbeinu has with God. Meshach Rabbeinu comes down with the Luchas and he sees that the Jews had sinned. Immediately he breaks the Luchas and he realizes he has to go back up to heaven because God is not happy. And the next 40 days and 40 nights Meshach Rabbeinu spends praying to God to save the Jews. God said, you know, uh, 
they tell us a little off-color joke. They talk about this, uh, this time in history in the sci-fi world they discuss the concept of vampires. They say vampires are I don't know if they're pure, unholy, pure, holy, whatever they want to say about it, but if you take the cross and they put the cross in the face of a vampire, the vampire runs away. So there was a house that was getting plagued every month. People were dying in the house. They were all being found with holes and they were, the blood was drained. The of us. And they saw it was the sign of a vampire. It was an alta idol. Alta idol Chaimyanko was sleeping in the house and he knew this is the night that he comes usually. And he was tittering, but there he's holding on to Salem. He's holding on to Salem. And all of a sudden he hears the window starts to open up. And he hears somebody climbing into his window and he's tittering. And he's waiting as soon as he'll come to him, he'll stick the Salem in his face and run away. And he hears the creeping and closer and closer to his bed. And he feels hovering over his head. And he takes out, he puts the Salem in the guy's face. And the vampire looks at the Salem and says, Mr. He found the Jewish vampire. <laughs> so, Moshe was davening and davening, and David said, Mr. Svetrigun Ishtalfen, I'm not, I can't, I'm not doing this. So Moshe said, if this is what you're going to do, erase my name from your book. That's a powerful statement. A threat. You're threatening, no more than less, you're threatening the Abishtah. We find like a, a similar threat. The story of Vashemtiv. Vashemtiv was sitting once for bringing with his Tamidim, and all of a sudden he started to stare up in the corner of the room, and they knew that he wasn't just staring at that corner, he wasn't checking if there were spider webs. He was elsewhere. And after a while, Hashem got up and started to sing and to dance. And the joy with which he was singing and dancing was so contagious. All the chassidim and everybody in the room started to dance and sing with him. When finally everybody was collapsing from the dancing, the Hashem sat down and he explained what happened. Yesterday, he says, a woman came to me, without children, she had no children, and she asked for a blessing for children. And I looked and I looked and I searched throughout heaven and I found there was nothing I could do for him, for her. So I pounded on the gates of heaven and I said, I demand this woman have a child. Now through power of prayer, many things can be accomplished. And I accomplished it. Now this afternoon, as we were sitting here, I was summoned to Bezden Shemaila. I came to Bezden Shemaila and they said, with what audacity did I have to speak like that to God and to demand such a thing? And they decided in heaven the decree I was punishable by losing my world to come and I will get no reward for any mitzvahs I do. What happier occasion can there be in the world? I am now able to do mitzvahs and learn Torah with no intent of receiving reward. It's pure now. I sit now, until now I sat and learned Torah, and I, but I thought always, there'll be an Elam Haba, 
there'll be a great world to come for me, there'll be this, there'll be that. Now I'm totally clean, there's no way I'm not going to be rewarded. So if I'm not going to be rewarded, I'm getting, I'm doing this purely out of my own heart, this is joy. This is how a tzaddik acts. He's willing to give everything up. Mechaini no. Erase my name, To which God said, You tzaddik, you put down a decree, I will keep to it. But in the end, God does not wipe out the Jews. So therefore, there's no real reason to wipe out Moshe's name from the Torah. But since this idea came about, since this concept was brought to the table, Moshe was wiped out of Parshas Tetzaveh. One Parsha. You may ask, why this Parsha? Another statement at the time when this conversation was going back and forth with God God tells Moshe, I'm going to send my Malach in front of you. Malachi, Mepharshim tell us, is the same letters as Mechoel. And David was referring to which Malach? David was referring to Malach Mechol. That he would send Malach Mechol to lead the Jews instead of God. To which Moshe refused to accept. Moshe said, No, we want God Himself. those of you that are quick in gematrias, you'll realize Mechol, you'll count up, is gematria 101. Mem is 40, Yud is 10 is 50, Chof is 20 is 70, and Lamed is 30 is 100, and the Aleph is 101. Pashat Tetzava has 101 Pesukim. And therefore this conversation comes into fruition in this Pasha. You tell me, okay, that's wishy-washy. Where does the actual statement that Moshe Rabbeinu said fall in here? Moshe Rabbeinu said, asher That's not proper diktuk. Proper diktuk would be mecheni no mesifrecha Why does he add the word asher? So let's do math again. What is Asher? She has Aleph Shin Reish, 501. Titzaveh. The word Titzaveh is Tov, is 400. Tzadik is 90. Vav is 96, is 496. And He is 5. Asher, Kasafta. So they took Pasha Titzaveh, which is 501. So therefore, it was this parasha that they was chosen to have Meshav in his name deleted. Old control, delete. Parsha basically deals with the Kahanim and, its clay and their garments. At the end of the parasha, suddenly, we find it talks about the Mizbeach, where did he come here? Last week's Pasha in Truma, it talked about all the Kalim of the Mishkan. 
Menorah, the Shulchan, the Aron. Why was who 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 misprinted here and left it in his bag at the end of the Tzavah? The Mizbeach was brought, was used for the incense, for the Ketiris. The Ketiris, we know that the Kayin Gadol wore eight garments. Amongst the garments, Laibish, which garment had bells on the bottom? The meal. The meal, it says he had bells on the bottom. Why? So he should be able to be announced. Now, somewhere, and I don't know where it comes from, children were taught, as a child I was taught this, and I wasn't obviously smart enough then to realize this question, that this meal, the bells on the Kayin Gadol's garment were worn, and when the Kayin Gadol went into the Kaydish Kedashim, if they heard the bells stop ringing, they knew the Kayin Gadol died, and they pulled him out. Because the Kayin Gadol could tardy in the Kaydish Kedashim, not much, but in case he stayed there too long, they realized that usually he, if he was there too long, he wasn't he coming out. The so the question is, he only went in with four begadim in the Kedish Kedashim. He didn't wear eight. And the Me'il was one of the begadim he didn't wear. So where that story comes from, I don't know. Elamai. We know that when the Kateris were brought, the Abisha says that this was the epitome, this was the highest time that the Shekhinah would come down. Atzmus would come into the Shekhinah, into the, the Mishkan during the time of the Keteris. And therefore, no one else was allowed to go in except for the Kengadol to bring these Keteris. Not even angels. Even Malachi Asharas were not allowed to be there. So the Kayan had this garment with bells. He announced his entry into the Kaidish, saying, if the Malachim were there, you have to leave now because I'm coming in to do the Kateris. And no one is allowed to be here except for me and the Ebishter, except for me and God Himself. So the announcement for the bells were used for the warning of the entrance into the Kaidish. It says, Until he went in, until he came out, no one else was allowed to be there. The Bizbech Aprimi itself was where the Kateris were brought. But interestingly enough, if there was no Bizbech Aprimi, the Kateris were brought in that spot where it had to be situated. So it was not a Maniyah. It didn't have to be counted in the Mishkan with the rest of the Kalim because if it wasn't there, it wasn't there. But ultimately, the Ebesha says, V'shechanti b'seich b'nei Yisrael v'ayisi l'chem l'lekim Let me rest between the Jews and I will be for them for God. Now, we've told the story a dozen times of the Alta Yidl that was found drunk on the street. He got arrested. And the... Uh, they arrested him and they brought him before the judge. And the judge said, Rebid, Abush and Acharpa, how embarrassing. A Jew with a long white beard 
found drunk like a, like a vagabond on the street. What were you thinking? I, your honor, it's not what you see. It's not what I see. I see a, a yid, an old chashva yid, drunk. Listen to me. I didn't feel right. I didn't feel right. I did what every yid does when he doesn't feel right. I took a flash and I poured myself on the chayim. And in the Nishmas that Ashag will say the chayim. And I said in Shmayo, Menachemendel, Shalom Meshav Aliyah. The Rebbe referred to this day as the Hilula, which is a very, very high level for general, for a yard site, it's called Hilula. Rajbi is called Hilula on the day that he passes away. He said, anyway, he said, I didn't feel right, I took a Lachayim. I took a Lachayim, it worked, and I felt like a new person. I felt like a new person. And the new person said, I want L'chaim too. So I poured another cup, and I gave the new person L'chaim. Now, there's two of us, me and the new person. The two Yidin sit together, they have to have L'chaim. So I poured a cup for me and a cup for him. And then we both said L'chaim on the next two cups. Eventually, Irana, it, got, it, it caught up with me. And that's why I look like this. It has nothing to do with it. Yisrael. ends Yud, ends with a Yud. Yisrael starts with a Yud. Yisrael. says, I will rest between B'nai and Yisrael. You have two Yuds. Two Yuds together, Hashem's name. And therefore... It has to be two yidden together and not one on top of the other. Two yidden together have to be side by side. If we go one on top of the other and we try to show I'm superior to the other guy, it becomes a shva. It doesn't have any kind of value. Amongst the different garments, a very, very interesting garment that uh, affected the Jews, the choshen and the ephod. And the halacha is, the Pasuk says, The Cheshen could not move off the Eifoid. What is so important to Cheshen be on the Eifoid? This had to be placed on the heart of the Cain. Eifoid is, yeah? Who? Oh, they have some queens. Official door. Official door, yeah. Again, we're going to run to Gematrius. Is Aleph Pei Dalid, which is 85. 85, the simple Gematria of 85 is Pei, Pei Hei, which is the mouth. It cannot move off the heart. The Eifite had to be on the heart. Teaching us that a person cannot be Echad Bepei, Echad Belev person has to be equal and it cannot move off of there. The person has to be, the, what he has in his heart, that's what he says in his mouth. A person should not talk one thing and think something else. 
This is why it cannot move off. The stones that represented each different Shevet. The stone that represented Shevet Binyamin is called Yashpeh. This is the stone that represented the famous story of Kibbutz Aim with Doma Benesina. This stone was missing, and they needed it for the mitzvahation. And in order to get it, they had to go. They went. They heard that Doma Benesina had this stone, and he would not wake up his father, who was sleeping on the key to the chest, and therefore he lost the chance to make tremendous amounts of money, and did not get this. Did not sell the stone. He was ultimately rewarded with the part of Duma the next year, which earned him the money. And they never spoke all Sikh, we've spoken a few weeks ago, why the Gemara has to bring down a Raya from a non-Jew to teach us how to honor and respect our father. But we're not going into that right now. Kibud Aim. The words Kibud Aim. Again, is a Gematria 396. I used to live at 396 Kingston Avenue. I first got married. Kibud Aim is 396. Binyamin Ben Yaakov is 396. So the stone that represented Binyamin was the stone that taught us the story of Kibud Aim. Of Doma Benesina, and that stone, the Yashpe was Gematria, the Yashpe itself is Gematria 396 as well. Yud, Shin, Fei, Hei. It's also 396. Is it? Doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah it is 395 actually. It's 395, but we use the color. The word is counted for one. That's a story that we always tell also. Gematria with the color. The stones had on them the names of Avram Yitzchak Yaakov and the Shifta Yeshurim. The Urim that was inside gave Ruach HaKadosh, gave us the, the Holy Spirit for someone to be able to talk and to tell people what they had to do. This is one darga less than nevuah. It comes to prophecies. Nevuah from a navi was one darga higher than what the Urim Vitumim was able to do. Why? Because when a navi said prophecy, he told you the story. He told you what was going to happen. They didn't do it in the most pleasant ways. They would roll on the floor. They would take off their clothes. They couldn't deal with it physically. But they told you. The Yudavitum, in turn, would light up letters. And sometimes, if you didn't pair the letters the way they should, you came up with the wrong answer. The famous story with Hannah, Shmuel's, Shmuel Anavi's mother. She was davening and davening, and the Elia Kayan saw her davening like this, silently, quietly, usually a person davening, you hear what they said. All of a sudden, a person is sitting davening quietly to themselves, she looked very strange. So he asked the Yorim what's wrong with this woman? And the Yorim lit up the letters, Shin Chof Reish Hei. 
and he took it to mean Shkeda, that she was drunk. And he asked her, why, how long are you going to keep drinking like this? But in essence, the Rebetulman gave him the message of Chav Shin Reishai, Kishera, she's a kosher woman. But since he misinterpreted it, so it came across, and she said, no, God forbid, she never drank. Okay, this is how the Yodim Atom worked. I wanted one more very, very important point here. The Aphid. We also have the Aphid Zokt Rashi. What the heck is that? What's an Aphid? So Rashi says a very strange thing. It's like the apron that the women wear when they ride on the horses. Whoa! Where? Rashi, what's wrong with you? What lesson are you teaching the boys and the, the, the Mechamish, the Mikra, who's learning shot from your apostle, from your explanations, your commentary? What are you lesson are you giving him here to teach him about women on horses? That's terrible. No. Rashi was a very, very holy person. And Rashi's eyes didn't wander. Rashi saw only Taylor, only spirituality, only Kedusha. Time happened once that Rashi was walking on the street and a princess drove by on a horse and he saw the princess riding on the horse, which was totally unsnewed, and it devastated him. He was totally wiped out. How did I end up seeing such a horrific thing? Why was I subjected to seeing a woman on a horse? Now, when he came to the Pasuk of the Ephite, it occurred to him why he was shown that. Because the Ephite was the apron that the woman wore while riding the horse. So Rashi is saying here that I did not... Why is he using the example to tell you that in essence I suffered when I saw it. In essence I had no idea why was I exposed to this. But I'm telling you now the reason my Ben Hamish the Mikra that I was exposed to it then was because I should be able to teach you today what the Eifah looked like. So therefore the Simcha Gedayla that he had was actually materialized from this Pirish. I don't know what they're making in this. It smells like they're burning the burgers. Never mind. Anyway, we will say the Chaim and the Shem of the Rashag should have an Aliyah and the Yeshiva should have a Yeshua <laughs> because believing the Yeshiva needs it. And we should be Zeichet to the Kids of Ram Neshech Neyafar and the Hubba Seichem and the Sidreno Bereshenu Bereshem. That's done. Um,